are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I am your host, Colin Austin, and my co-host is Michael D. What's up, man? I actually thought that Alexa was going to like scream back at you because yeah. you were so rude to her. No, nah, dude. Nah, it's all good. You guys were just having a little hype song before. We always like to have the hype song going to get some us Andy Minio. Yeah. We always ask our, our guests who their uh, or what their favorite hype song is, and that's like the second or third time Andy Minio's come up. So yeah, recently, too. Out. That's yeah, great. It's good. So, you guys, I'm so excited to get into this episode, but before we do, we have some sponsors that we need to thank. Yeah, let's start with Gainesville Harley-Davidson. You guys, you've heard us say it again and again, but Kevin and the entire team at Gainesville Harley are incredible friends of ours. Gainesville Harley is open and ready to meet the parts, service, and transportation needs of the riding community. They have several options for pickup and drop-off services and have initiated a detailed and frequent cleaning routine to help staff and customers stay healthy during this time of coronavirus and everything. We absolutely love these guys. Uh, reach out to Emily over there at M, as in E-M, at M at GainesvilleHarley.com or call them at 352-331-6363. And if you're ever passing through Tallahassee country, I'm not sure why you would ever Who do that. would want to do that? <laughs> like, who? Like, why? Boo. Uh, stop in and see Tallahassee Harley, which they just acquired. Lots of exciting things happening in their world, so be sure to check them out. So they're like your next door neighbors, Juan, right? They are. They're, they're like right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right on. So, uh, you guys, also, this this episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Broker Pest Control. These guys can handle all your pest issues. Mosquitoes, fleas, ticks, termites, squirrels in pantries, as we have often, <laughs> as we have often referenced. Shout out episode 88. Episode 88. <laughs> and uh, business partners. They're definitely pests sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's a joke. Business partners, like pests. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, you never had a bad one. You know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, they take care of uh, they take care of our twelve thousand square feet over here at New Scooters for Less. They can handle yours as well. Give our friends Booker Pest Control a call at. 352-378-2433. Again, that's 352-378-2433. Or find them online at brookerpestcontrol.com. Uh, you guys, we've said it multiple times, but this uh, this show is not you know, there's not, we're not able to make the show happen without the support of these incredible sponsors. So we're just super grateful to those guys for your support and, uh, and for making it happen. So you ready? Let's get into it. <laughs> I love you, it. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready when it's you the are. the highlight of the <laughs> week. <Let's go. laughs> this is, this is the fun zone. Uh, <laughs> you guys, today on the show, we have Juan Seguera, CEO of Foresight Construction Group. Juan I'm so glad we finally made this happen, man. Well, welcome <laughs> to the show. How are you? It took months, but I'm here, man. I'm yeah, here. you know, well, I mean, there's been pleasure. so many interruptions, and then there's been like, what you are you know, talking about? Just like COVID and like, interruptions. Yeah, it's been like everybody's not been able to like really hang out in person and and now and now we're like starting to see this little spike again and I'm like dude are we gonna have to like not be able to do this again i don't know so much so much uncertainty out there but i'm glad that we were able to finally uh get you in here and, and have a good time so thanks for joining us thank you for bearing with me yeah man so one of the things that i mean we always like to start with a story that's sure. the easiest place to go back it allows us to kind of hear hear the, your roots a little bit hear what got you to gainesville and how you got to being the ceo of this construction organization your construction organization so why don't you uh, give us that story man let's hear it awesome so much like everybody that comes to gainesville for the most part i came here for uf back in uh, 1998 
and came up here for school, um, went to business school, and basically got plugged in the community, got you know pretty, pretty tied in uh, to where when I graduated uh, in 02, decided to stick around. I had been, you know, we, we, we got plugged into a church. Well, I, I say we, my wife and I met later, but um, yeah, I was plugged into this church and just basically found community here in Gainesville. Um, so I, I decided to stick around not really knowing what I was going to do. Uh, but I had a great group of friends and, and great great people around me, so I stuck around. And so it was '02, probably '04. I started seeing the real estate boom and paying uh, attention to it. Um, and you know, at the time, I was doing sales for a company here in town, telecom sales for uh, Altel, and. Uh, you know, I started getting the itch for, I like the idea of develop, development. So um, kind of chose the construction route because I'm like, I can either do real estate or construction. Let me do construction. There's a lot more complexity there. Figured it was more to learn. So I, I actually started working for some local construction companies and then also went back to school and kind of stuck around there. And then um, so fast forward a few years, I'd gotten some experience and, and um really had had gotten my contractor's license and done a lot of different things but um i was it was now october of 2008 i had worked in the residential market i had worked in the commercial market uh, i'd worked for a contractor that did a lot of dod work and had me traveling and stuff and trying to get um do projects uh in georgia and uh by that time i was married um market tanks October of 08, I'm sitting there. At the time, I was an estimator uh, for, for a contractor down in Ocala and basically twiddling my thumbs at that point. You know, it was very, very similar feeling, not not in terms of the activity, but just in terms of the magnitude of, of the moment back then, um, as we are feeling right now with everything that's going on. So it's, it's uh, you know, we're 12 years in business now, and so it's been, it's been crazy, but... Um, yeah, it, it, so October of 08, I completely skipped like my family. Hold on, I'll come back to that. <laughs> I'm going straight business. So, I, you know, I got laid off um, shortly after the, the market crash of, of 08. And my wife and I had always been talking about starting a business. And at that point, we were kind of faced with like, what what do I do? Um, I had prepared myself to kind of step out and we'd save money and done the whole thing. Uh, and my wife had a steady job and she didn't seem to be at risk for losing it at the time. So she was doing really well. And so we're like, hey, why not now? Let's go. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're going to go knock on somebody's door and get a job, right? Like nobody's hiring. So um, that that's when I, I stepped out and I'm like, look, I'm, I'm doing estimating. I've done a lot of the different parts and pieces of construction. I understand business. Let's do it. And so, I mean, just overnight I started you know I already had my license so I could go ahead and step out and and bid some projects I started bidding work down in Ocala and then I got the opportunity to bid on some work up here in, at, at UF and so that was my first uh, substantial contract I'll call it and so that that was a continuing services contract so um, it's a three-year contract where you get task orders and you can kind of work on a continuous basis there um, and so we just, we got plugged in and I just, it was me, 
um, at first, and then I hired a superintendent. It was just me and him, and we just started knocking work out and doing a whole lot of it and doing a good job for the client and really built it on on being really service-minded to the clients. You know, they have an institution like UF has multiple departments, and so there's a lot of complexity around working in that environment. So it's just... You know, my my background in, in seeing some of the DOD work that we did uh, when I was working with other other companies, I, I realized, like, these institutional clients have a very uh, unique environment that you have to, you know, it's hard for a lot of people to work in. It's not it's not an easy um, task to, to execute in their in their campuses or on a military base or in a hospital. So we just really keyed in on that. You know, the I wanted high barriers to entry to anything I was doing because... You know, if I'm going to be in business and I chose construction, I didn't want to be competing with the guy in the truck. I didn't want to, you know, I really wanted to be in an environment that was challenging to execute in and just become really good at doing that. And so that's kind of what, that, that was the focus for the company from day one. So I'll pause there, head back. You know, I met my wife uh, in, in a college ministry that our church had. She's four years younger. Um, you know, she worked for, with the company up until like two, three years ago where she decided to stay home. We have four kids now. So a lot of roots here in Gainesville. She's a third generation uh, ACR, so she's uh, she's rooted here. So okay. it's been cool. It's been, a, it's been a really, really neat ride. There's a lot there with the family. It's just amazing story. You have four beautiful kids, two girls, two boys, and loving it. That's you know, like awesome. It never works out that way where you actually get the 50-50 split. Yeah. That's just what you aspire toward. <laughs> yeah. You got both boys. You yeah. actually got the 50-50. I did. Yeah. I did. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, man. They're, they're awesome. So That's cool. You know, it's funny, like, just reflecting on what you're talking about in terms of starting a business when you got laid off. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, like, so fascinating to me. And I, I'm, I'm starting to see this a lot right now. Yep. You know, it's like because of COVID-19, a lot of people got laid off. I'm, I'm really happy to see a lot of the jobs coming back. You know, we've, we've, we've seen that happen. But, you know, with all the uncertainty with COVID-19, there was a lot of people who were laying people off, laying people off. And then I start seeing people going out and starting businesses. It's almost like, it's just really fascinating to me that, you know, something like a layoff leads to, you know, now a whole new organization. It's, it's, it's really about a mindset and sometimes it takes people to get shoved off the ledge to go try it um is it just because you're just at a mindset of like we really have nothing to lose is that like absolutely yeah i mean when you get to that point it's so much easier to step out you know some people are more entrepreneurial minded anyway so they'll they may step step out with uncertainty when they have something to cling to but when you don't have anything to cling to in terms of job security it's, it, it's really easy to go step out on your own you know for me, I was excited. So, like, it's a funny story. So, I'm getting laid off. My manager comes in, and I'd already seen rounds of layoffs. It was a pretty late round, and and I'm sitting there like I was actually like, man, lay me off. I feel like I'm taking your money, and I'm not doing anything. Right? There was no jobs to estimate. So when he came in, I was like, ah, oh, and he called somebody else, and I'm like, okay, I know what's going down. So, and I was, I was actually excited. Like at that point. It set in, it was funny because in the middle of getting laid off, um, my wife calls and I, and I answered the phone while I'm getting laid off. I'm like, honey, let me call you back. I'm getting laid off. Because you're not going to get fired. I'm like, I'm like, hey, baby, let me call you back. I'm getting fired or late, late, laid off. So <laughs> oh she's my like, gosh. what? I'm like, I'll call you back. It's cool. And, you know, and it was, it was like, I mean, 
genuinely i was excited because i knew hey this is the moment we could step out it's not i mean when you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs you kind of see the writing on the wall and you have a little bit of time to think but you hadn't talked to her about it before that moment or anything right we had talked at, oh, you at had? times i mean she okay. we, we knew we wanted to start a business at some point and it was just a matter of timing so you know we we trusted that look my, my provision doesn't come from the one job right like look I, I love that job. The company was great. We did a, you know, had a great run there, but I'm not going to sit there and take somebody's money just to sit and have a job. So for me, it was actually a relief to go and be productive on my own and just hunt and eat from what I killed. Right. So like that was, that was actually fun for me. And it was kind of began that entrepreneurial phase of my life. Um, and, and, you know, obviously you fast forward now and I'm really grateful that I did it. It's exciting and all that, but. Have you ever like reflected back to that moment being like, man, if I, if I hadn't gotten laid off, I'd still be in that job or I'd still be, you know, like. I have, because, you know, at one point that, that company was talking about opening a Tampa office and I'm originally from Tampa. So I was like, man, that'd be great. I, you know, and, and frankly, if I wouldn't have gotten laid off, I would have gone with that team to open the office and in Tampa. God knows where that would have landed. But, you know, I, I was content. I enjoyed what I was doing, um, but this was, this was just a better, you know, a better situation long-term, so. Yeah. When you were in school, what did you go to school for? I mean, you said you were in business school, but. Business admin, uh, economics minor, mass comm, second minor. And what year did you graduate, UF? It was 02. Okay. So I'm 04. So like we were at around yeah. the same time. I had a couple yeah, yeah. couple years of crossover there. All right, that's that's why I always ask. I was <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying to line, align myself right. with, every, with our guests, yeah. kind of like uh, what, what was Gainesville like during that time, you know? I, I just, I don't focus on the graduation year. I just focus on the what year we got here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's reasons for that. Yeah, but, you know. yeah. So you're 98, you were what, 2000? Oh, yeah, I got, got here in here? 2000. Yeah, and yeah. I got here in 2004. That's much better than saying 2002, 2004, <laughs> and 2013-ish. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, you start thinking, I start reflecting, I'm like, man, there were some hurricanes back then when I was in school. Right. We had, like, Hurricane Charlie. Oh, was it Charlie, I think? Like, yeah. Yeah, it was before. It was <laughs> like, before. Yeah. I don't know. Was it you that posted something about the, the, the landscape of this street and, like, some old Gainesville? I I mean, so I that, posted it. I don't know if you, like, shared oh, it. But, yeah, I, I somebody had this, it. like, video from, like, uh, early 90s. I thought I saw, yeah. And yeah. you remember, like, the Target copy on yes. 13th Street and then there was like uh, Apartment Hunters was like on right, 13th and University yeah. and then now there was like Starbucks. Yeah, a lot of people don't even know yeah. that there was a Starbucks right on the thir- on right. 13th and University for a little yeah. while. You know, it's like. It's pretty it's pretty cool just to see the landscape change and especially in what I'm doing, you know, having a part in that is really gratifying. Just having so much history in a place because growing up, I mean, I, I pretty much lived in a place for six, seven, eight years max, right? And then you come here and you're starting to see true roots being set and and then just having an impact on your community has been really cool. Yeah. All right, so where are you at 12 years later? Like how many how many team members do you have? I, I've I've been to your incredible location, yeah, <laughs> the private gym, and like all, that, all these like really cool things in the yeah. back. I'm like, yeah, I'm just, like I need to be better friends with Juan. So I can, like take advantage of all these resources. It's, uh, it's it's been a wild ride, man. It's been it's been really cool. So. Um, Today we're we're three offices, so we're in Jacksonville and Tampa, and we have we have just under fifty employees. Uh, fluctuate right around there. Have been at that level for the last couple of years. Um, you know, our our offices. We've been doing work over the last few years all over the place. It's been really neat because we still we got back into what my background was uh, somewhat in the DoD space. 
we're working with a lot of institutional clients in all three markets, so we're getting to work in all kinds of places. So like right now, we're finishing our project in Key West. I mean, we did projects in Gitmo, the Bahamas, Puerto Rico. I mean, it's been really cool, just random opportunities that, that have come up and we've been able to do. And then, and, and so the mix of our three offices is very similar in terms of the client type. We're working in hospitals, airports, education facilities, both at the higher and lower education levels. Um, and, and did I say DOD? DOD. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's been really cool to see the evolution of the company. And the, even here in Gainesville now, we're being, building some major projects is when we started. I mean, we were in the minor project level and doing really small renovations and all types of small projects that fit under a certain price range, but varied in type. And so you can get caught in that rut because you're not getting the opportunity to build resumes. So you may be renovating all kinds of cool spaces or re-roofing buildings, changing out mechanical systems and that's not really that sexy. And it's hard to sell a client on, hey, I'll build your big, beautiful new building when that's all I have to show. So for us to have made that transition to where today we built the institutes, the black and Latino institutes here for UF, right right around mm-hmm. the corner from here, beautiful buildings. It was the first major project that we had done for UF. And UF defines major projects by over $2 million, And that was almost $10 million job. So it was really cool to just make that jump. And we, we, we've now executed multiple majors and um, with different clients, we're finishing out our church. Actually, that I've been at now for twenty some years. Uh, we're we're having uh, the the we just got the CEO this week, and so we'll be doing the grand opening on that. So okay. it's really really cool, really gratifying, and just continuing to grow and kind of transition into new phases of our company. It's just it's been exciting. What was like the first job that was like? What you would classify as like that real job? You well, know, I, like, I wonder why the very first job like period was first yeah. like like what like when you first got it like what like what, what was the you, you have a the genesis of a new company and you're putting your first pitch together like do you remember what your first job was and what it took to get it i it, so i don't remember it was a relationship so i don't remember exactly how it came about it was just i knew somebody that i think from my wife's work or something i forget but um it was a bank that had like a water intrusion issue um and so they were just needed somebody to figure it out right and fix it and so it was it was like trying to hunt down a a water leak which is always a challenge and it's actually a a, a niche within the construction industry is is, um just fixing damage from from water mold and so it was it was super random and it was super small and i did it just getting a little bit of momentum figuring out okay what what are we how are we going to estimate how are we going to so how you I say we yeah how do you have I to I sell do? it to them to make sure that you could get i mean were you like yeah i've done this before i totally got it do you have to like fake it or pretty much i mean <laughs> not not fake it but yeah, i mean yeah, i, I came from a very reputable company okay that's one of the, my history has been every company i worked for has been very reputable you were pretty space. confident that you could figure it out it wasn't yeah. hard you know okay. was Dude, me, i was an like, expert yeah. scooter mechanic on, the, yeah. on day one huh? right. why not <laughs> so like yeah so it was, you know, it was a real small job and it was cool. So, I, you know, I piddled around with stuff like that. And then you'd have a word of mouth job here and there. And so we, we had, um, I didn't remember, a child care center in Ocala that we started um, courting. And it was, I didn't know how real the thing was. I mean, it, if they had any money to do what they were trying to do. But at the time, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just what like, What were oh, like the size client. of those jobs, though? Man, in the few thousands of dollars, right? Okay, like, so when did you make the, like, when you made that leap? 
Like that, so going yeah, from your yeah. question yeah, to my build, question, building up, to building it. up, yeah. like, yeah, from we, there, what was the first? Like, was it like, all right, now we went from like, you know, ten thousand dollars to like fifty thousand, like five hundred thousand, like, yeah, it was, cause now you're doing like ten million plus. Like, right. I mean, when, I, I mean, I, <laughs> as I'm getting like ten million dollar projects, I'd be like a little, I'm being a little nervous. Oh like, man, <laughs> I've lived, I've lived on the edge of nervousness. Yeah, like, I mean, to say, hey, you go execute a project in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, or St. Kitts was another one, like random places, and trying to figure out the logistics around that, and then not getting yourself in trouble one way or another. Yeah, like, sure. All right, so what was the size of that first big so, deal? So the first, the first contract that I got with UF was what really spurred us getting into the, you know, now you're in the $100,000 range. Okay. You know, it started, theirs was, at the time, it was 100 and under, then it became 200 and under. Um, and so that's when we started to get into a little bit more sizable jobs, and, and really it was more about the volume of them, right? So like the first few years, I mean, the first year that I was on a full year under that contract, we did like $2 million of work. Right, so it it was a bunch of small jobs, but it was a, a good volume, and so it was. It, is that like kind of feeling like on call type of thing? It, or like some did of they it. have it all planned out and ready? Some of them. I mean, for the most part, it was what they called the uh, emergency response contract, and so okay. it was. You know, we'd get a call. I, I remember like the first first job that we got under that was hey, somebody ran a lift into the O'Connell centers, like where they keep the floors for the basketball court and the volleyball court, and they damaged like a structural element of the of the opening. And so the, the lintel, I'm talking construction speak, so <laughs> forgive me. But anyway, it broke and like all this block came fo- falling down. So, and they had a game that night. Oh man, and that so person was, was like, probably fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, hey, we need somebody now to get this fixed. And so it was, Nobody could be more nimble than a guy and his superintendent, right? And so we uh, we we figured it out. We safed it off, and then by next morning, we already had a new lintel in place and repaired it. And so it was, you know, that kind of service that you just you, you start like building. My up. life, I'm like we're going to Lowe's or going to buy some two by fours. Like yeah. this is, <laughs> that's like that's like my right my personal like good thing they're calling you and not me. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, I, you know, sometimes it sounds easier than it is, but I mean, for me, I've had a comfort level because I'd done enough of this stuff to know, like, look, I know how to make it happen one way or another. Like, I know how to execute. So it was more building your systems and how you're going to operate once you get some work. And so we, you know, we started doing a few projects, learning how, like, what's the best way to put our estimates together for this client. And then it was, you know, billings. And then it was like, you know, the design, these guys would just call you and, and want you to just, hey, I have an idea, I want to do this, I want to do that. There's no design, right? Like today, we get plans and specs, it's an entire, you know, uh, construction document set that you get to go execute with. Back then, right. it was like a napkin sketch, and it's like, this is what we're trying to do. I've done plenty of napkin <laughs> How much sketches. is this, you know? And so, So, yeah. all the other deals that kind of came up with Guantanamo Bay. Like, I mean, were these also kind of like relationship based? Like, how are these people even finding you here in Gainesville? Totally. totally. It was so, so back then I was working for a, a company out of Tampa that had an office here. They were in the DOD space. So I was a superintendent for them. And then I got into like an assistant project manager role. And so I got exposure to the federal market. And so that 
obviously, you know, you start establishing relationships. And then we, I, when I went out on my own, I established a partnership with this firm. And so we started getting kind of introduced to some clients and, and, and were able to grow from there. We also have this uh, 8A certification that the SBA does for minority-owned businesses. And so I got that. That allows them to, to reach you easier in terms of contracting. So there's like sole source opportunities. And so we took advantage of that. I had seen it done by this other company and they grew to like a hundred million dollar firm. And so I was like, man, that's pretty cool. And I know how to work on their basis. I know some of the people boots on the ground. And so I said, well, let me, let me add that to what I'm doing at UF. And it's a, a good second niche. Right. And so, um, did that ironically with the the company we're working with they had relationships that basically they needed some work done in the bahamas and that was like our first job and so it was us teamed up with them we went to execute and it worked out great and then we got other opportunities like oh you do work in the bahamas and so take a look at this job and then it was you know the gitmo job the Puerto Rico job. And so we're continuing, we've continued that on our own and just developing those relationships and that, that resume that can sell. Hey, yeah, please hire us to fix a dam in Puerto Rico. Right. Like we literally did that um, during Hurricane Maria. <laughs> After Hurricane Maria, we did in some, some repairs on, um, it's called the Guajataca Dam in Puerto Rico. So it was pretty cool. Dang, that's cool. I'm I'm surprised that that's not a, a harder barrier of entry to get in with a, a client like UF. Like I would have thought that like they would have a list of preferred vendors or something like that. But are they really truly like open source that they're willing anybody to just come in and 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 pitch an idea? Yeah. So UF is has has traditionally been um, a group of uh, established contractors that have been there for years, right? So when I got there, I always heard. Don't even try you. Even the company I was working for, they're like, eh. And they were a big company. They were like, nah. I mean, those those guys are ingrained there. There's not. There's no point um, for them. And when I started on my own, I'm like, let me try. I mean, I still lived in. You know, I lived in Ocala for a bit for like three years. But I, I mean, I was still in Gainesville all the time. I pretty much really never left Gainesville. Um, so I'm like, let me let me try for this contract. And they're trying to get, you know, they, they do a good job at trying to bring in new people and trying to get new experience. But the, the challenge with institutions, not just UF, is you, the complexity around working in their environments, if you, if you get that wrong, it gets a lot of people in trouble, right? So you need to have reliable contractors. So, you know, therefore, it, it, it's better for them to keep a, a close group of folks that execute all the time and know the buildings, know the people. And so... That environment existed. Me coming in as a small company, they had a small emerging contract, which was you know intended to be that. Hey, bring in small emerging companies, give them an opportunity, and they did that. And so, you know, I think it was a combination of hey, you 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 have this opportunity to bid this, and we bid it. It wasn't they didn't give you anything. I mean, we it was it was bid. It was unit prices, and and you know you're awarded the contract. So. We got in, and then from there, it was just business development, you know, just working with the project managers, make sure, hey, be, be light and be easy to work with and execute for them. And so that's the way we did it, and they still to this day, I mean, they just did the, the new round of selections for their contracts, and they, they let new people on. So I think there's always been that environment where it seems closed, but... You know, people that really want to get in, that are local, a lot of local firms have actually done well there. And so we have a lot of great competition here in town. It's not like, 
you know, what people imagine or, or maybe existed back in the day where there's only like a handful of guys that really did work there. And now there's, there's a good, good amount of competition there, really good, really great competition. So when you're making that bid to them, how lucrative are you making it so that you can get in? Or, you know, are, are you standing firm to, you know, profitability or something like that? Uh, yeah, so when you bid, uh, like when we do work now under the contracts we have, they're they're usually, they select the contractor and then negotiate with that one. So it's not like you're hard bidding every, every because it, it's really hard to hard bid in that environment because there's so much, so many unknowns. So the contract we're on now is actually a, a larger contract. And so it goes up to 2 million. And so... They select what they call, it's called a construction manager delivery. Now I'm getting into like nuance of construction <laughs> industry, but it's, it's, it's different than your hard bid GC contracts where you just give them a number and you do it for that. You know, for us, we work with a client to develop budgets. It's an open book contract. And so there's a lot of legwork on the front end that you're doing for budgeting to make sure that they get the product that they want. And then trying to work around class schedules and students and occupied buildings and some medical spaces on campus. And so there's a lot of complexity that if you hard bid that as a client, you're setting yourself up for failure, you know, or or, a really rough time. So hard bid kind of drives people to go cutthroat and leave things out and then try to change order people on the back end. And so that's not, that's not what this delivery method um, supports, right? It supports collaboration. You're working with the architects and engineers up front, developing budgets. Everybody tries to identify all the unknowns up front. So there's very little uh, in terms of unforeseens once you get on the job and then you can execute well. And then it's because it's open book and the owner gets savings back, it's kind of, you know, hey, now you're just part of the team. And it's a much better approach to construction, in my opinion. Talk to me a little bit about company culture. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, uh, it's something that I definitely focus on a lot for my organization. Um, how many team members do we have right now? Right now? As of, what is this recording? Yeah. Uh, July That's when people like ask nine, me, I gotta like go call nine, HR. Or, yeah, like eight or nine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, we're like, we're, like we're, we're actually at like one of our lowest like points in a while in terms of team members. And, I, and I, I'm actually somewhat grateful because I feel like, okay, like, this is a good opportunity to kind of reestablish the culture and the direction. And so I'm looking at it as a really great, grand opportunity. And just to be clear, like we, we actually have been fortunate enough to not have to lay anybody off. This has all been a, a, a choice to not replace and to try to absorb more. Um, yes, more know. structure, more right. foundation, more like, yeah. We, we didn't have to undergo any like rounds of layoffs or anything yeah, like thank, that. Thank That's God. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, thank goodness. Um, but, you know, when I like see an organization at 12 years old and you go from, you know, you and, and what was your right hand man? What do you go? What'd you say? Who's superintendent. Oh, like my superintendent. Yeah. So you and your superintendent, right? You go from that to a team of 50 in three locations yeah. in 12 years. I have to imagine <laughs> right. that there's some cultural implications along the way. Yeah. And, or that you like, what did you do to like really establish a healthy company culture. And I don't know, maybe just like talk to me a little bit about that because yeah. I, I'm always fascinated with company cultures and I've, I've, I've toured his place and it's, it's amazing and you know, I'm just 
really interested. Yeah, no, thanks. So I, I have a lot of thoughts about company culture because I, I, I have like an adverse reaction to like a contrived idea around like we got to create company culture. That's just never been, that never sits well with me. For us, I think company culture always starts at the top. And so for me, my culture today is, it's driven by some of my tendencies and some of my likes and dislikes and kind of how I lead our organization. Um, and so for us, it was more a matter of like, let's get clear on what the culture that we enjoy today. So we looked at our organization because it starts, hey, it starts with me, but it doesn't, I don't do culture, right? Like our people are the culture. right? So whatever it is that I am or I'm doing is driving certain people to my company that create an environment within this company that we like for whatever reason, right? And so then it was a process of, okay, well, what is it around here and about these people that are really creating this culture. And so that was really getting clear on what your culture is, is looking at your people and really identifying those traits that they exemplify that we all think is so awesome, right? They make you wanna come to work. These are the people that energize you, right? So we actually went through an entire exercise of like, who are the rock stars that we say, these are the people that, that really excite and drive the culture here. And, and then that's where our core values came out of, right? So when we reference culture today, we point back to core values. They're not aspirational. So a lot of people talk about core values and there's, you know, they, they have all these things on the wall. That's what we want to become, right? So that's not, that's not us. We, we look at the wall and we're like, that's who we are. And so when we talk to our clients about, hey, you may not know Joe Blow here, superintendent or this project manager, but one thing I can assure you is that you're gonna find these core values because we hire and fire by them. We're clear about what they are and people that don't align with these values, they don't make it here. A lot of times they'll leave because they just don't fit these values and they're kind of driven out by the organization naturally. And so that's been, that's been a really, really amazing exercise that we underwent probably four years ago just to get that clarity and and you know we drive the company i mean it, we got clear on what the purpose you know the passion statement around our company that's what you saw plastered on the walls and you know again to me things that get plastered on the walls if they have no meeting meaning um they, they, they won't be lived out in the organization but we actually live those out we say hey what's our passion statement our passion statement is to build a great company marked by a culture of service that improves the lives of others, right? Then we broke that down. What does that mean? What's a great company to foresight? It may be something different to somebody else. So it's a profitable, sustainable, it will be here long-term, and it's efficient. Anything that we do, we don't like red tape. That's just not the environment that we have. We don't like a lot of, uh, I mean, we, we're big into process and we're big into structure and organization, but we're not into red tape and like, you know, bogging down the process. So we're always, whenever we look at, hey, how can we improve? We're always looking at it through the lens of efficiency, profitability, and long-term decision-making. And I see your Simon Sinek book back there. And it was, yeah, it, it, yeah <laughs> that's, that's big. It aligns with that train of thought is like, man, we have long-term thinking. You know, I have the benefit of being relatively young in our industry to be leading a construction company. And I find, you know, a lot of the decision making that I make and our team makes is, is long term. We never think, you know, oh, let's let's do this for five years and set it up to sell. Like, that's not the thinking 
Yeah, so how did you learn to lead? I learned to lead. Yeah, I mean, have you always had that as a natural? Like, would you like say it's just been in my DNA? Would you say like no. I've studied these people? I mean, because like yeah. you really into you like decide like hey, there's all this development stuff happening. I kind of like this. Let me go. Let me go this direction. You decide to go. You take this leap of faith, go this direction, and and twelve years later, <laughs> you got three locations. 50 team members. Oh man, it's been uh, it's been like a, a lifelong learning deal, right? So like for me, I'm a big reader, big learner. I like I'm very passionate about reading and, and like improving myself. So I hate the term self-improvement books, but <clears throat> I read a lot of business books, self-improvement books, you know, spiritual books, things that really drive me at the core and excite me and give me vision towards the things that I'm doing, right? Whether it's parenting, whether it's my business, like if I'm not reading about it and getting new fresh ideas, you become stagnant. So when I got, when I started in business, I wasn't thinking about leadership, right? I was just thinking about starting a business, go execute, right? Um, Like most operational people that are coming off of operating for somebody else, they're coming and they just start operating, right? For me, it was like, well, okay, I was operating for several years in my business because I'm wearing all the hats. At some point, you look behind you and you're like, crap, I got all these people I got to lead, right? And so some of the leadership came natural because I had done personal growth work, right? So a lot of that was, hey, how do I talk to people? How do I interact with people, right? So that that was working, right? Like, I don't, I don't, talk down to people naturally like I don't I don't berate people if they're not doing something I work with them and I try to you know get them to to operate at their highest capacity or abilities and and so for me then it became like okay I'm having trouble here I'll go figure out and I'll reference or I'll watch how somebody else that I really respect has led through a situation like this, and then I start applying it to that situation. And so, you know, got it wrong plenty of times, but it's just that intentionality about the learning curve, right? It says, hey, I have, I have to get better. And I, one thing that's always driven me is like, look, I wanna build a large organization. That's, that's, you know, some people are like, I don't want a big company, I just wanna do this, and then there's no judgment there, that's, that's awesome. For me, I'm like, I've always liked business. I want to grow a healthy and thriving business, and I've always had a vision for growing something that's significant in size for, for me. Um, what, so, is that, what does that mean for you? Is that people, is that revenue, is that, like what does a big business mean? For me, we're talking about a, a regional company, multiple locations even beyond what we have today. Um, a lot of it is driven by, look, because at one point when I started the business, I had that, I very much had the mindset like, I wanna be at this level, it was kind of like a small to medium sized business, and I was like, I could be here and I'd be pretty comfortable and that would be great and I'd just you know feed my family and it'd be great. The only problem is when I got to that point I started to realize how selfish that ambition was, right? Like it was all about me. I'll take care of my family, I'll build it up to this point and I'll be good. But then I was I was thinking, you know, I was dealing with all the, you know, uh, HR things, right? Like you're trying to bring the top-notch people to your company. You want to build talent. You want to pour into people because that's a big part of the passion statement of our company is to really impact people, build them up and train them up and help them to grow, right? So that's the heart around the company. Well, how are you going to grow people that you have nowhere for them to go if you've limited the size of the company? 
And so for me, it was, okay, that was a very revealing time, A, around my motivations and B, my limitations, right? Because I said, okay, well, let's, let's like pop the, the lid off this thing and say, forget top line ambitions, right? Like I don't, that's, that's secondary to me. It's more about, it's more about, hey, if, if, if I grow really, really great project managers and construction professionals in my organization, where do they go, you know? I'd prefer them, if they become part of the Foresight DNA, that they're going out and getting an opportunity to go do something entrepreneurial in nature, but they're doing it with Foresight, and they're carrying out the core values in other, other markets, right? And so that was kind of a, a huge moment for me where I was like, yes, that makes sense. I'm energized again, right? So that was the, that was the moment where I'm like, let's continue to build people and send them out. And so that's that's the model that we're we're building in our company and that's what i i try to look at every young person that we bring into our company today and i start thinking about look how can i build you up to get you what you want long term you know and so some of them don't know what they want and so that's hey that's fair let's let's dream up what you could potentially do down the road right and let's you know we do quarterly check-ins actually now we're doing them three times a year but we do check-ins with our employees to make sure that we have a clear development plan that we're building them up that we understand what their vision for their time here at foresight or even personally and try to help them along the path right so that's all the back-end stuff that we've built but i mean if you get to a point where they're looking around they're like i have nowhere to go in this organization they're going to your competitor you know so for for us it's like man that's we want to try to retain people and continue to build from there so that was kind of where the ambition i mean i I definitely did not have that ambition to start out with. I'll say that though, you know, to me it was more overwhelming. And so then, then it became, hey, this is where we want to go. Now I don't want my organization to outgrow me, right? So kind of along the lines of, you know, personal growth and me wanting to continue to, to learn, educate myself. And that's where I poured myself into more and more leadership material, material. Uh, more business material. I started going, doing uh, executive education courses. Um, and so I, I'm always doing stuff like that because I'm always thinking about, look, I want to, I need to be prepared to lead at the next level of our organization, whatever that means. And so I'm, I'm, I'm still in that process. Yeah, it's awesome. So in a time where your your payroll budget might have been a little bit more limited, what was the strategy to attract top-notch talent? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. So, and and there was that was a big hurdle, frankly, because um, attracting top-notch talent in an industry that's very competitive um, is a, a, a significant challenge. And so, I talked about kind of growing that that the project size and your resume going from small jobs to big jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those things that you're always trying to crack that nut, right? Like, how the heck do I get a project manager that can do a $10 million job to join a company that's only doing $200,000 jobs. That'll bore the mess out of these people, right? So is for, for me, that was definitely something I was always trying to figure out. And so I started to just focus in on the culture, focus in on doing what we do and doing it well, right? And so that naturally progressed us as a company where our clients started to feel more and more comfortable with what we do. Um, and then we started getting opportunities on the federal side to do much bigger work, right? So we, we executed some jobs in the 
nine million dollar range of big mechanical job in NAS jacks um, and so we started now now you're you're using the guys that you've got on staff and you know that obviously you have some that can handle a nine and a half million dollar job on a military base but um, you take you take those guys execute on that now you have the press around look they're doing pretty big work right and so then now you can start kind of that promotion around like look we're handling much bigger stuff we can bond which bonding in our industry is a big deal like that's insurance for the client that you're going to be able to execute so that that's another hurdle in growth and in, in, in what we do um but you know the, okay they're bonding nine and a half million dollar jobs they're executing and doing an excellent job on them and then so that press starts to get out there and people start feeling more comfortable and saying like man they actually got something to them but then that really doesn't do it by itself. You look back and you say, well, your competition, I mean, you have very, very established players out there with really pretty resumes, beautiful buildings, beautiful thing. I mean, just all kinds of stuff that a young person would be like, I want that, right? So it's taken us a long time to get to the point where it's like, look, we have that to show as well. But what p- attracts a lot of people to our company has truly been our culture. And that's been, I mean, we've done a lot of work around uh, surveys and you know we've done the the um, best places to work we were awarded that last year and then we got it again this year where you get surveys that basically show you like a lot of information about how people feel and it's anonymous so you know it's there's a lot of room not to get those awards because there's so much room for people that are disgruntled to to speak up and and I mean, we've gotten some really awesome feedback. Like the culture here is really awesome. We love, you know, working for our, our leaders. We So that starts to get out there as well, right? So we've had some people come from, from other companies that say, we want to work for you, right? Like we've worked there, it was great, but we want to come work for you. So that's that's really been amazing for me when, I'm, when the culture is a big thing in our company, you see it actively working not only in work acquisition, but in people wanting to join the team and say, yeah, I, I want to be a part of that. That's, I've experienced something else and I'm not really wanting to go back to that, but this is a healthy culture and that's what I want to be a part of, so. That's cool. I could, I could dive a little bit deeper in that just because I'm, as you're explaining all that, I'm um, looking back on conversations we've had with other small businesses and stuff. And I think that a lot of times that when you're in this stage of of wanting to invest into a culture because you feel like that'll uh, keep the top talent, um, but as a small business, you know you're you're still trying to keep wages down. You're trying to keep labor down, and you know I've heard I've heard it said before, mainly from maybe disgruntled employees and stuff, and maybe not our own, but that that culture only goes so far as your ability to pay a living wage to your employees and. If, if you're investing into the culture and you haven't done that first, then it's almost seen as an insult, right? Like why would you invest into these areas whenever you can't even afford to pay, pay employees, you know, a basic, uh, uh, what they would consider a living wage to stay. But on the flip side of that, it's like if you invest into the labor, you might be mortgaging your future to run a company if you, if you do that too fast and you get it wrong. So businesses find themselves in a, a paradigm that's like you you have to get it right the first time and i think that's a huge struggle for a lot of people so i'm interested like where where your thoughts are on that because you were able to do that and and succeed by investing in the culture but did you ever feel like you were at a crosshair 
No, and I'll tell you why. And that's a, that's an interesting point you're making. And so, honestly, what a lot of that boils down to is fear. You know, as a business owner, and, and being fearful of making decisions that are investments into your company that you're afraid you're not going to see a return on, right? And that's a fair, like that's a legitimate fear, right? Like, but for me, the way that I look at a lot of things in our business is investing, is long-term investments. I talked about how for us, it's a long-term horizon. I'm not building for a year out or to this year's profitability. Maybe I have the luxury of it because I'm a sole owner, right? So I can say, look, if I'm gonna, I'm gonna take less profit this year and I'm gonna spend more money on this person, you know, and, and, and you know, the dynamic in our industry and in our business in particular, we're not dealing with low wage earners, right? So we're not at the point where we're even talking about, do I have a living wage? I mean, everybody in our company for the most part makes really decent money. Um, heck, I, I didn't make that much money when I worked for anyone else. So I'm like, I'm That's like, always the case. Yeah, yeah. That's progress. So, so you know, to say, look, and I and I make these decisions all the time, even today. You know, and I'm 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 always in that place. It's like, look, you have the opportunity to bring somebody that can add to your to your culture for one, that can add to the. Um, the thinking ability of your company, whether it's through their experience, maybe they've been where you're trying to be, and they're a lot more expensive than what you're used to paying. So you can, you ha- you're at a crossroads, right? You make that decision on whether you say, I'm gonna make that investment and risk it, and that's where you know risk and reward is, is there. That's why we, <laughs> we do what we do, and we, you know, we make good money as owners because you take that risk and you could lose and you could end up in debt. You could, I mean, it could be really, really bad, right? But that that just kind of goes to the entrepreneur, right? To the makeup of the entrepreneur. Like, I don't think it's gonna go really, really, really bad. And I can mitigate risk along the way if it's heading that way, right? So I'm better off making the decision to invest into my people, to invest into the company, whether it's a software, whether it's a person, I mean, whether it's a building, I mean, I've had to make those decisions when I'm signing leases on other buildings or buying our building or, you know, it's like, well, what if it goes, to, what if a pandemic hits? Like nobody ever said that, right? But like, right. like <laughs> but you know what? Life goes on and you mitigate the risk, you do what you can do and and the benefit far outweighs um, kind of the, 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 the opposite, right? Like you, you very, it happens, but not very often where like worst case scenarios across the board just hit. 2020 is like a weird space though because that might yeah. not play Don't out. Don't count 2020. <laughs> Every other year, Every other year human is fine, assistance is cool, but yeah. No, but that that's just that's just my my makeup as a, as a business owner and it's, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of inefficiencies. If you were in a corporate environment, depending on the corporation, they may not be, they may, they, they may not have the appetite to, to approach it that way, but that's just, always how I've done it you know I'm always trying to work myself out of my job as much as possible it's like look I want I want a team that can do this without me right so that takes investment it takes a lot of investments not only in money but in time and in, and building people up and giving people opportunity it also takes a, a business owner not to be a control freak about their business right like that's hard for a lot of business owners they're like if I let this person run loose they might fail right and so 
I'm I'm a big proponent of like let people do their thing, and I I have to check in on them and make sure that it doesn't go terribly wrong. But like you have to you have to build the appetite to trust other people, and that's that's a big part of I think the leadership challenge, right? Like really strong leaders can learn to trust other people and give them the opportunity, but they also are good teachers and good people that guide folks towards being successful. Um, and so that's that's been a lot of my leadership. Uh, journey is learning how to do that effectively and I haven't always gotten it right you know sometimes I've let somebody run too loose and and it does have you know implications sometimes I'm you know too close to it and I need to back off because they got it you know and I just need to trust that they have it and I just need to check in a little bit more but that I mean that's very common in business right a lot of people are either on one end of the spectrum they just want to just hey expect I need you to go do that job tell me when you're done and then they go away and never check in. I've done that before. And then they're pissed off because that person didn't do what they wanted them to, or they didn't really define what the expectation was clearly. And now you're looking back, you're like, oh, this person sucks. But like a, a buddy of mine, he said, nobody ever comes to work to suck on purpose, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? So when you start looking at it through that lens, is like what I, you know, take responsibility for what's going on in your organization and I look at it and then my first my first view at any kind of breakdown in my company is what did I do to contribute to this right I could be two two layers up from the from the breakdown but I'm like what did I do to allow that to happen right and so when you start looking at things that way you just you just operate completely differently and that's that's been a really a great evolution to my leadership I think are you good at holding people accountable? Am I good at it? Oh, that's a darn good question. <laughs> well, like, I mean, like, because uh. I, I, like, I hear what everything you're saying. I'm like, man, it's like, it's always accountability. It's right? oh, like, how man. do you hold, how do you hold people accountable? And, and we've talked about this on the podcast a few times. Like, you know, I, I start reflecting at your journey, right? And I'm like, okay, like, you're probably pretty tight with your superintendent. It's you and one other guy, like. You know, you got your right hand man. You're like going out there. You're doing it together. You're probably like, like really good friends, and you, you know what I mean. And then yeah. you get more and more team members, right? And like at some point, you go from like really being like the friend, right, to being like the boss. Yeah. And then now you got to hold people accountable. You got to fire them when they're not like fulfilling or meeting the expectations after you've made the expectations clear. Like, and and I, and I'll say it's definitely one of the areas that I've struggled in is like. Is, is that like, I'm just like, I'm always like, I'm like, dude, just come to work and do your right, job. Right, right. <laughs> like, just come to work and do your job. Why am I like telling you to get off your phone right now and stop playing? <laughs> like, like, just come to work yeah. and do your job or like whatever it is, you right. know? And, uh, and it's, it's definitely something that I've, that I've struggled with over the years, you know, cause I just want to get along with everybody. I want people to show up and do their job. Everyone struggles with, with accountability. And quite honestly, every time I've asked that question of other people, I see them cringing, right? Cause it's either their, their accountability is just like the hatchet man, right? Like cut them, like you, you screwed up, like you're terrible. Cut right. Um, and on the other side, it's like, you know, non-confrontation, like, you, you keep somebody on for way too long. Oh, that's totally me. And and I've done that. I mean, I've I've I'm obviously I'm not hatchet man. I'm not you know that that really aggressive guy. I've gotten aggressive at times in business, and I've had to kind of learn from that myself. Is like, man, this is just not effective, and I'm creating a culture of fear. Let me back off of that because it's not that's just not who I am. That's not what I want in our organization. So, um, 
for us, we've got built-in accountability systems in the way that we operate, right? So the way that we we meet and we discuss a lot of the things internally drives naturally drives accountability discussions. And so what we try to do is keep as much out in the open for people to see in terms of you know operations and who's doing what and who makes commitments within our organization. And so that culture kind of breeds these discussions that kind of go underground a lot of times in large organizations where people are, um, there's a lot of politics. For me, I've never worked in the corporate environment, but like the idea of politics and all this underlying stuff that's not really clear and I'm trying to solve an issue, but I can't because there's all this underlying tensions and discussions and, and all kinds of stuff that the leader doesn't have any kind of visibility to. Um, and so, trying to create a system within your business that snuffs that out to the best of its ability. Like, you know, I, I think our, our company has very low um, political dynamics. They exist, every organization has it at some level. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not dumb to that, right? But anytime that we see like politics show up and people politic and to get something that they want, I mean, real quick, we'll have a very direct conversation. And that's for me, I am, you know, one. I'm not the one that's going to scream and yell very often. You really have to get under my nerves for like for me to get to that point. But I will be very direct. And so with my with my leadership team, we have very direct discussions, and I try to drive it. I mean, I, I have I have people that I've <laughs> they start telling me about something, and they're talking in circles, and they talk in circles, and I'm like. I don't know anything that you just said, and so I would really appreciate it if you just got a little bit clearer for me because like that, like I can sense that there's something that you're trying to tell me, but you're telling me everything around kind of the point. I want the point, so give it to me. And I'll have that very direct conversation, which might make, it does make people kind of cringe sometimes mm-hmm. or squirm, but like, that's okay. Like that we have those tough discussions in certain settings so that we can protect an open and honest and clear culture and environment where we can make good decisions. If you don't have those, if you don't, if you don't embrace that awkwardness, people leave the room, everybody's nodding their head, yep, got it, we got this, yep. What, yeah. did, what did I say? Got it, we got it. They that are gone, they had no idea what the real deliverable was. There was never a discussion around this breakdown that we're addressing that we just spent hours talking about is actually because Joe over here didn't do something that screwed up Mary's thing. You know what I mean? So it's like you got to you got to really know, like, what's the true issue? Oh, well, you don't trust him. And so you did this because you didn't think he'd get it done. And so we always kind of have those discussions just like, OK, you brought up an issue. I heard your issue, and and it takes a little bit of skill to kind of get to that point where you can really sniff through like the BS. You know, it's like okay, you're saying all this stuff, but like that doesn't really make any sense to me. Like, what's going on? And then it drives it to the to the surface, and that's we've been we've been doing that for a long time now, and I think it's helped to retain a healthy culture. Where, as I see it, I mean, I, I'm building a team of leadership around me, and I, I you you have second tier you know, leaders, and then you have like project level leadership and very quickly you can have people trying to, you know, maneuver to do, to get some sort of outcome. And and then, you know, just cloudies up everything. And it's, uh, that drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that helps you at all. But 
I, yeah, I think it's a, it always be helps. direct. Do do you does your leadership team ever have to hold you accountable? Is that a thing? Do you embrace that if they do? I do actually. So, you know, a lot of times I get frustrated when I don't get that right because as a leader, truly like the owner, the the head, um, uh, people try not to do that, right? They feel like there's gonna be repercussions and I try to drive it as much as I can. I mean, obviously there's always a hesitancy to say, hey, Juan, you're doing this, you know? But I, I mean, we literally, we'll have offsites um, every quarter that for our leadership team that we step out and we've gone through an exercise before that's been really, really powerful. And the power, the, the, the exercise is, is name, and we go around the room and said, name one thing that you, are doing, or that that we say it about everybody in the room, so you're not speaking about yourself, but um, say one thing that they're doing to contribute to the team in a positive manner, and name one thing that they're doing that's undermining the team and it's actually holding us back. And so you go around the room and you're saying this, just very open Dang. and honest, <laughs> yeah. you know? And and that, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a brutal exercise, right? Because people are like, oh man, I don't want to hear. Yeah, this. So what, is, what did somebody say about you? Um, remember? Oh yeah, absolutely. So for me, it was you don't celebrate wins, mm-hmm. um, and that was the negative. Yeah, so you don't celebrate wins. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I get all kinds of flattery all the time, right? Like, yo, you're such <laughs> a great leader. We're here to work for you. We love working for you. All these great things. I'm like, okay, like there's got to be something. I'm not that awesome, but when you get them in an environment where they're they're actually um, vulnerable and they know that there's not repercussions because you tell me like you think. I suck at something, it's okay, because I am I'm actively looking for something to grow in myself. And I know that I haven't arrived, and I know we never arrived, so it helps me to get my blind spots on the table, and I welcome it, but, but it's getting people comfortable enough with you um, to where they know, like, look, he's not going to take something out on me if I tell him how I feel, and that's that. You know, that goes back to a healthy organization, and yeah. a healthy organization is made up of healthy people. So, if you have unhealthy dynamics personally, to where if somebody tells you something and then it breaks your spirit, and you're like, oh, this person hates me, it's personal. Like, it it, it creates. That's what I think about Mike every single time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy Mike's hates bro- me. He's broken his spirit a few like, times. Like, Dude, stop breaking my spirit, Michael. Uh, but that, I mean, quite honestly, it, it, it plays a lot into the health of the overall company. Get healthy individually. Drive a healthy culture with the people around you. And so for me, when I'm looking at leadership and trying to build people around me, Right now, I'm always thinking like I I know this person has the skill set. They may have the resume. They may have this, but if they personally are not a healthy person, and I can snuff that out now, it helps like like you know multiple times when they come onto your leadership team and you're you're it's just you're not dealing with that friction of operating with somebody that's got some weird dynamic to them, right? And I, we've had people in our organization that have had weird dynamics, and you're always fighting against it. But when you get healthy people, it's like, ah, this is so natural. It's more natural, you know? It's still work, but it's more natural. So are you good at getting them out quicker now? Or do you still let them like linger? You're like, oh man, like I need to get, like I need to get this person off the team, but like, you know. Great question. So I I mean, I've had people that I've held on for too long and I've, you know, sometimes it's it's tough when you're you're dealing with project you know, it's like mm. you need you're gonna help. let this person go. Like in the middle of the project, they have all the knowledge around the project. 
I mean, you can do it, it's just really disruptive, right? So sometimes you have to make decisions in a business around, mm-hmm. okay, so you may want to let somebody go, um, but maybe now's not the time. <laughs> maybe, you, you know, and that's a, that's a slippery slope. I mean, sometimes you find yourself, and I did this years ago when I had a different viewpoint. Like for me, it was like, I had certain superintendents that were just super gruff and really, really disruptive to everything that we did. I mean, when I'd get phone calls about these guys, but they were super like efficient at their jobs. They were really, really good at the superintendent position, but they were they were like terrorists, right? And your organization, they're just undermining your organization. If if your core values are around like improving the lives of others, and that when you unpack that, it means everyone that comes into contact with foresight has a has a a good experience with that you know they're better off in some way shape or form for it and that extends to our subcontractors our owners mm. other employees but when you have these terrorists in your organization that are just driving bad dynamics even though they may be super effective at what they do they no longer fit the culture and so now like i've had people leave that i i held on for too long and i kept getting phone calls i mean from all kinds of different people like this guy is detrimental to your organization people would just straight up say this guy is this this guy is that um and and so now i know look i don't care how good you are i don't care if if you're like talking down to people and like really making it a miserable experience for people to work with us you create all kinds of you may you may do a good job on that project and i used to champion that i'm like man they're so good and they're always looking out for the company and most of the time when they're cussing somebody out they were actually right about the issue but the right. way that they handled it would just completely unravel everything right so for us <laughs> it, it was like for for me specifically as a leader it was me starting to look at that as not positive for the company and that took me some time because I saw the like the effectiveness of their managing a job site right so now I'm like I I can't stand for that because it creates so much other drama you have the accounting people like complaining about them you have their their project teams complaining about them then I get the subs and say I won't even work for you guys anymore I'm off I'm walking out there if you ever have that guy on the job again I won't come to work Mm. Now it's like okay, they were, they were effective last job. This like no, that just it's not worth it. You know, I'd rather work with good people, and and like right now, I mean, I was just coming off that the the rock job, right? We, I, I walked that job the other day. I have subcontractors, I have the building inspectors, I have the client, I have other people in the community that have come by the. I mean, just raving about our people, right? I'm like, that's what it's about, right? Like totally different approach, super effective, and and people are leaving that job with like, man, these guys are great, great to work with, and, and it's a good environment when I step on their jobs, right? So for me, as I continue to build the company, I want to replicate that. And so a lot of the work that we do today in terms of hiring and firing has been <laughs> identify what traits are developable, what are non-negotiables, and, and try to do a better job at screening that on the front end. And so we've, I mean, we've invested into all kinds of tools to do that and it's been it's been great. I mean, it's been definitely part of our development and it's been a, a long road, but of getting things wrong. And I mean, we, have to, we have to wrap this up in a second, but yeah. like, can you tell us like what 
like one of those resources is like is it like a personality test that you guys are doing like what like yeah. how are you yeah so we do through that we do multiple things so we do um we actually invested into a a um it's not a personality assessment but it's a it's a assessment where we define you know we have questioning that that draws out like the traits that align with our core values so it's it's really truly a core value test hey would this person fit these values that you guys hold you know to a high esteem and so that like, so it's that and then elements of it that are positional right like so we have enough information internally now to say okay you have good project managers and you've had some project managers that weren't so good and so getting clear on like what a good project manager in your eyes as a company because a good project manager at foresight might not be a good project manager elsewhere but for us what is it that what traits do they exhibit that would make them really excellent at that job and so we did some some assessments that are positional in nature but then we have the core values and then on top of that we also do a personality assessment and so we do the dave ramsey disc uh, assessment it's great um, it, it provides a really great report so we do those things just as a baseline and then our, our hiring process is pretty lengthy too and and that's been you know I get criticized for it is like oh it takes too long to get through it but quite honestly and it, with the pushback that I've received the culture and what we're seeing and the people that we're, we're bringing on our team it's worth the time. far outweighs yeah. you know oh man you, you, you know if a recruiter is complaining because it just takes too long and you know the, they have their own interests around why they they're pushing you to, to execute a hire quickly I'm like look man our culture is the only thing that we have to sell really I mean our resume and all that stuff I mean it's great. Everybody has it, you know. But the differentiator for our firm is who we are and and the experience that you're going to have with our people. And so we're really serious about how we approach that. And it it is, you know, we have multiple interviews with multiple people and the assessments and so on and so forth. But it's awesome, man. Yeah, it's super so, cool. I mean, this is one of those things that we could talk about forever. Yeah, you right could now. go on yeah. all day. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you get me talking about company culture and right, all the sure. different vari- like variables involved. And this is where I geek out. So yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. Like I like I'm fascinated by it. I'm like we have we have 12 core values and and like it's a lot. Some of them, are, you know, we have one like core value number 12 is if you like to work, you better bring breakfast. And you know, it's like like yeah. we have a lot of fun with it. And but you know, like but we're serious about them too. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Like I I just love I love everything company culture and. I think that we we get it wrong sometimes, and I, I, I the problem is I'm definitely the guy that when I get it wrong, mm-hmm. I hold on like I hold on way too long, and I've held on way too long to where it's cost me lot lots of money, yeah. and like, and I'm always trying to improve that, and yeah. it's super hard. It's super hard. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've had the the um, I, I've been fortunate, I was just say to to see a lot of other businesses all kinds of scales and and <clears throat> really learn from what they do well and not and what I see is this theme no matter what scale of business is is present in all those businesses and so that's actually been pretty liberating for me it's like look man I'm it's not that I'm not good at something or that it's like people aren't naturally just given all this experience right this is the value of experience and the experiential learning and going through the tough times and and getting up and continuing to grow so 
you know, don't be discouraged by the size of business or where you're at. Like you just know that no matter what struggle you're going through, that's your learning lesson for the day, right? Like that's a gift. Yeah. When you look at it that way, it's like, you know, it lets your blood pressure go down a little bit when you're like, man, I just can't get this right. What's wrong with me as a leader or why, why can't other people get it right? And you start like, you know, always pointing the fingers out to like why everybody else isn't doing what you want them to. And then, you know, when you start getting to look at it internally and be like, what did I do to contribute to that? Cause yeah. we all have some, some part to play in, in a breakdown in an organization. So. But in that, have you ever felt like you weren't actually built for it or good enough for it? Um, like, has there ever been any self doubt in that? Oh man, self doubt, you always fight self doubt. Always, you know, at different levels. I mean, I don't. For me, when I when I stepped into this industry, I mean, this is this is a a good old boy industry, you know. I'm a Puerto Rican dude that like <laughs> I was 29 years old, and I'm stepping into like the University of Florida, where most people in our industry are like, it's not even worth it. Like, you got these major companies that have kind of been there forever; they're not going anywhere intimidation factor right off the bat was like significant but i was like well you know i can stare at that mountain and just like marvel at how hard it would be to climb it or i could just start climbing you know and just get to it and and that's how you know at different levels of our company that's just kind of the same way i approach it it's like i got a new mountain i it's daunting like i don't know how am i going to get a resume that's going to get me a 10 million dollar job right now my mountain's like how can i get a resume and how can I build a company to where I can grow into multiple markets beyond where we are today and do some really awesome things right and yeah, there's always something new and some some other challenge and you're never you're never already equipped with everything you need well I've, I've heard that said otherwise you're equipped with everything you need to go to the challenge but you know on the onset the self-doubt piece always says like I don't have the experience I don't I don't have this, I don't have that, and you can go down the list, but man, what I've what I've experienced is you take your steps and you take one step at a time and you worry about what you have in front of you that day. And then, you know, when you have the perspective of I'm constantly learning, when you fail or when you run against that wall and you you learn something new, you add a new piece to it, and now you're like, you know, a quarter of a mile into your hike up this mountain, and you're like, oh, this is cool, right? <laughs> now you get re-energized, because you're like, man, I was down there, you know? And then you just keep going. Well, see, and if you're me, like, you make it up the mountain, and then you trip, and you fall back several, <laughs> like, you climb, fall back, hey, climb, fall hopefully, back, Hopefully climb. you're not talking about COVID-19 uh, and the year 2020, because yeah. falling back today, everybody fell back, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's, uh, it's and even in this environment, man. If you look at it as as frustrating, I mean, there's so much frustration right now. I mean, I'm feeling it. I mean, yeah. this is this is unprecedented for myself. Right. Like, I've never never experienced anything like this. I mean, I was telling several people this week. It's like, man, this this year has felt um, like the first year that I can say this was a tough year. Right. Like I've had tough years in the past or what, you know, tough moments and years, but I have this optimism that's built in that says, oh, that was a tough moment, but I'm like beyond it and I'm moving on to, to greater things. This year is like you get you get onto the greater thing thing and then something punches you right in the mouth, right? <laughs> and then you go back to, you're like, yeah, I'm over that punch in the mouth and you get up again and you get kicked in the, you know what? And you're like, what is going on? This year just keeps, keeps going. Well, uh, just make 
make sure that if you prevail through 2020, like I expect you to do, and like I expect we to do, that we actually take time to celebrate. That's yeah, it. celebrate because since that's like one of the <laughs> take time to celebrate prevailing through 2020. <laughs> so true. So true. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Hey, man, this was a lot of fun. honor and a pleasure. I really appreciate it. I get to get to hang out with you guys. Yeah, man. Where can our like where can our audience like connect with your company or like learn more? Like where where should they go? Sure. Our so our website's uh, www dot foresightcgi.com our twitter page is at foresightcgi.com facebook foresight construction group um you know we're trying to be pretty active on social media so you'll see you'll see a lot about our projects our culture you see a lot about us there so cool man keep it up i'm excited well, i'm excited to do a recap sometime oh, yeah. see see like how many more locations there hey. are and how how big the projects are Stay in a few tuned, years man. You know? Stay yeah tuned. That's, that's what's so so much fun about this. It's like I say that multiple times. I'm like so excited to like look at the future, get to that, get to those recap moments. It'll be a lot of fun. Thank you. Man. So yeah, you guys, world, everybody, thank you so much for listening. You know, leave us a review, um, share this with somebody, and uh, just <laughs> keep on keeping on keep through on 2020. On. We love you guys. This is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go whoa. Whoa. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.